Thank you for listening, downloading, sharing, subscribing, commenting, donating, and praying for us. And for going to BrotherLance.com to get the free PDF of this teaching. We have been given belief in suffering for God. Okay? So don't try to run from it. I mean, don't actively just go out there and try to get some, some suffering in your life. Just live godly and righteously. It'll find its way around. Because you are going to be persecuted. You're going to go through tribulations because you raise a banner high for Christ. So as we get to the end of time and we're leaving Babylon and we're not doing what the world is doing, we don't feel like some strange thing is happening to us when we suffer because of our faith. If you can't be a light in your family now and offend everybody in your family now because you stand up for Christ, what are you going to do when everybody in your family is trying to convince you to take the mark of the beast? You're going to stand up to him then? You haven't practiced. You haven't put it in your heart to do so. Right? You haven't gone through the the the, uh, the sessions of discussion and back and forth and standing for your faith. And so if you can't do it now, don't expect yourself to be doing it then. Survivors premeditate on how they will respond to situations. And that's why training works so good. So like you don't get in a situation and someone puts a gun to your head and and it's never happened. You never thought about it. Deny Jesus or I'm going to shoot you. If you haven't already predetermined in your heart your response, you're going to fall all over yourself. You have to determine in your heart at that point, I am accepting Jesus. I will say yes and I will die for him. And that way when the moment comes, you already have the answer you're going to choose. But if you're put in a situation where your, your mind is unprepared, right? And like you're not prepared for some persecution. You're not prepared to be maligned, to mistreated, to be excluded, to be, be alone, to be separated. If you're not prepared, if you're not preparing your mind for these things, you're going to be cut off so off guard that it's going to crumble your faith. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So everything the world values now and everything the Egyptians valued then, they thought they were going to retain through disobedience to God. But in reality, they have forfeited it. And through obedience to God, the children of God gained it. Not only did they gain the lives of their children, they gained the wealth of Egypt and they gained their freedom. So when God tells us, come out of Babylon, my people, don't partake in their plagues. We are not just leaving to get less we're leaving to get more we're securing ourselves a better future brotherlance.com dear father we praise you we thank you so much for allowing us to be together today thank you for blessing us with your holy spirit guiding his path helping us to understand how to leave spiritual babylon and go into your glorious kingdom to separate ourselves from this world for giving us a bible full of examples of you telling people to flee and them obeying and being blessed and to inspire our hearts and minds and so we praise you we thank you for that and thank you for everybody here and everybody that's not be with them and call them into your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen amen Amen. Amen. All right, you guys ready? All right, Escape from Babylon, the series, part 17. The Godly Grant, Belief with Suffering. 
Okay, as we continue on learning how to escape Babylon, we search the scriptures to find examples for us to be inspired by. Just like in last week's lesson of the prophecy of Jesus, we will add four more examples of the call to flee and follow God's directive. Yet we must first start with a grant of God to all believers of Jesus. We will also take a brief look at how we can understand our exodus by learning what happened to the disciples of Jesus. We continue on this path of study trying to cement into our hearts and minds the urgency we are all under. So let's read Philippians 1, 27-30. Only let your way of life be worthy of the good news of Christ or the gospel, that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your state that you stand firm in one spirit with one soul striving for the faith of the good news and in nothing frightened by the adversaries which is for uh, them a proof of destruction but to you of salvation and that from God here's the God godly grant because it has been granted to you on the behalf of Christ God grants it on the behalf of Christ not only to believe in Christ or him but also to suffer on his behalf having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So, we got we're given two things by God. When we're giving when we're given belief and the, and the ability to believe, we're also given suffering. Now we talked about this in the, in past studies that Jesus says in this life you have tribulations and all those who live righteously or godly will suffer persecutions, right? And so it's belief with suffering. We have been given two things by God, the the ability to believe and to suffer. Now, that does not sound like Joel Osteen, yippee, happy, hooray, I'm so excited. But the reason why this is so important and why we're putting it here in the Bible study is that those who do live godly will suffer persecution and have tribulation. So we want to get so like okay with the idea that that's what happens sometimes, not that it always has to, that when it does happen, we don't get shaken in our faith. We don't lose Faith. We don't get like, God, where are you? Why are you letting these things happen to my life? They were promised to you. They were given to you. Right? And so people that live their entire life and they never go through anything, are you living righteously? Are you being godly? Are you being salt? Are you being light? Because if you really are, it's going to happen. If you're a big enough problem to the devil, then the devil will pay attention to you and try to cause you some grief. So let's read the next verse. First Peter, sorry on the sheet, First Peter 1, 5-7. By the power of God, having been kept through faith to the sal a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time, in which you greatly rejoice yet a little while, if need be, grieving in manifold temptations, so that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, that being proven through fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the trial of your faith, the, to believe and to suffer. So you got the same thing there again, trial, which is like suffering, the things that are bothering you, and faith, that is your belief. So to the trial of your faith, being much more precious, your faith is, than gold that perishes, being proven through fire, through the suffering. Okay? And so we have been given belief and suffering for God. Okay, so don't try to run from it. I mean, don't actively just go out there and try to get some, some suffering in your life. Just live godly and righteously. It'll find its way around because you are going to be persecuted. You're going to go through tribulations because you raise a banner high for Christ. So as we get to the end of time and we're leaving Babylon and we're not doing what the world is doing, we don't feel like some strange thing is happening to us. 
when we suffer because of our faith. And that's why we keep pushing it in the studies that, listen, guys, this is part of it. You're, you need to get it in your heart and your mind that, hey, that doesn't mean God is forsaking you. It, it most likely doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It's in all likelihood you did something right. Right. So you're getting repaid evil for good, but God will repay you good for good. You know, and so don't be discouraged as we get to the end of the time end of time. It gets harder and tougher. And we've been so blessed and, you know, babied in America that like a, a people in other countries, they live with it every day. Christians on Iran and in China and Saudi Arabia. You know, I just read a story today about a, a, a Christian girl who uh, shared the gospel with a Muslim uh, girl her age. She accepted Jesus. Uh, the girl that was an original Christian was beat up, brutalized, put in a jail and tried for converting a, a Muslim. The girl that converted to Christianity from Islam was murdered by her parents and then sued the girl and said it was her fault for doing it. But here in America, we won't put stuff about Jesus on Twitter. We won't put stuff about Jesus on Facebook. We won't bring up Jesus at work. But there's Christians all around the world this very day dying in their faith. And it's costing them their jobs, their house, their families, right? But Americans are babies. I mean, we're pathetic little children half the time that we get offended if people don't like us or if they say something mean. Like, oh, no, my hurt feelings. Well, are you fearing man more than God? Do you value God's feelings more than yours? If you do, then you're going to take the hit. You know, and so uh, Americans and people in the West need to grow up and act like adults and be able to stand up for their faith and stop playing the baby game like you're in grade school and that you get offended when someone says something mean about you. They're saying mean things about Jesus all the time and you're too prideful and too self-absorbed to defend him, defend the cross and do what is necessary to bring the truth to the world. And so if you can't do it now, don't expect to do it, be doing it then. If you can't be a light in your family now and offend everybody in your family now because you stand up for Christ, what are you going to do when everybody in your family is trying to convince you to take the mark of the beast? You're going to stand up to them then? You haven't practiced. You haven't put it in your heart to do so, right? You haven't gone through the, 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 uh, the sessions of, discussion and back and forth and standing for your faith. And so if you can't do it now, don't expect yourself to be doing it then. So that's why we have to get ready. So as we see here, it says, as we leave Babylon, we'll be in conflict with man and the world system of the satanic commandments, the doctrines of humanity. So let's read Matthew 15, one through nine. It says, then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread? But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded saying, honor your father, mother, and he will speak. He who speaks evil of father, mother, let, mother, let him die the death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever you would gain from me, it is a gift to God. And in no way he honors his father and mother. And you voided the commandment of God by your traditions. Saying, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching from doctrines the commandments of men. And that's what's happening in the world. And if you can't be a lie and say no, 
That's not what God says. We need to be doing this just because you want to worship on Sunday because that's what everybody's been doing for the past couple hundred years. It doesn't mean it's what God wants. Just because you're doing Christmas because you've been doing Christmas for the past couple hundred years doesn't mean it's what God wants. Right? We don't get to have a, a say in it. We go, God, what do you want? And that's what we do. Yeah. That's how we live our lives, right? Because we are bought with a price. We are not our own. We have to give response to the one who saves us. So let's look at the top of page two. It says, we will be persecuted for teaching that the real Jesus, all the while they will threaten us not to do so. So these are examples of what happened to the disciples. It'll happen again. Acts 4, 17 through 21. But so that it spread no further among the people, let us strictly threaten them that they speak no, uh, no man in this name from now on. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right for before God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way as to how they might punish them, because all the people for all glorified God for that which has been done. Right? And so they were sitting there going, listen, you're not supposed to teach in this name anymore. Now, at the end of time, fake Jesus is going to be big. So preaching fake Jesus will be acceptable. Preaching uh, real Jesus will not be acceptable. And so you're going to be told that your doctrine is heretical. It's blasphemous. When in reality, their doctrine is heretical and blasphemous because they didn't line it up with scripture. And so we have to be prepared to be able to go, listen, you decide which is right. But we have to do what we have seen and heard. Okay. And so if you're in this group and if you're not actively sharing what is being shared to you every week, if you're not going out of your way to bring it up to people, if you're not posting it, then you have failed, right? Because God is requiring you not just to be a cup, but to be a pipe, right? You're not just sit there to hold all the blessings God gives you and go, well, nobody will listen. Well, it's not your responsibility to figure out if they're listening. It's your responsibility to share it. And if they listen, that's between them and God. But you have been faithful in your operation. So you have to be sharing these teachings. You have to be sharing what you know and read. You have to be sharing with people what you read in your devotions, what you've been praying about, how God is helping you. And so Lorian said, amen, right. And so you have to be about the Father's business. If you can't do it now, don't expect you're going to do it then. Okay. If you can't stand up now to some persecution and the people not liking you and people not wanting to talk to you anymore, how are you going to do it then? Okay? So, we must determine in our hearts to obey and fear God and not man. Okay? Yeah. Here we are. Acts 5, 28 through 29. Didn't we strictly command you not to teach in this name? Behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us all. But Peter and his apostle answered, we must obey God rather than men. So what happened? They were like, don't do this. And then the, the apostles were like, well, you decide what you have to do. We know what we have to do. They went out and kept preaching Jesus. They brought him back and he said, did we strictly command you not to do this? And he goes, we must obey God rather than man. If you don't practice this now, you won't do it then. So don't fool yourself, okay? It's like saying, you know, I have a, I have a, a, a lift meet. I'm going to have to lift 400 pounds. I'm going to have to bench press it. But I'm not going to bother practicing. But when the time comes, I will be able to do it. I can barely do 200 pounds now, but when the time comes, I'll do the 400. No, if you're not constantly building up and practicing and teaching yourself and, and going through the operations, don't expect to do it then. Okay? 
So Acts 9.31. So the assemblies throughout all Judea and Galilee, Samaria had peace and were built up. They were multiplied, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So what happened? Because they obeyed God instead of man, these people we're blessed, walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, right? They feared God, not man. They walked with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You cannot have this comfort from God if you fear man. You get the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the presence of God by fearing God, by obeying God, by doing the things God wants you to do, right? And so don't expect God to come in on your behalf if you're not willing to do it now. Because he says, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father, there's a lot of people down here going saying, I know Jesus. And Jesus goes, I don't know them. You may ever have someone knock on your door that you didn't know and they assume that they were at someone's house they knew. Is so-and-so here? Uh, no, who are you? You know, that's what it's going to be. They're going to be like, let us in. Unwise virgins knocking at the door. And guys go, well, you ain't got your lance split. Go away. All right. You cannot serve the world and think you are serving God. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon or God and money. That's what this world serves, money. Because the money gives prestige, power, influence. It gives you all your desires for sin. You know, name it. Money buys it. You know, and so you have to decide. It's not that you can't work at a job. It just can't be your master. Now, how do you, what are some of the ways you don't let your job be your master? First of all, you put limits on it. You're like, I will not work on Sabbath. Mm -hmm. I will be there for my family. Like, if, like you hear people skipping their kids graduation because their job. What? You gotta be kidding me. Your kids are graduating from high school once. If your job doesn't want you to be there, then leave. Right. And so we have to make sure, and there's many other examples that you, like, oh, we need you to lie on this report. No. Right. That's right. You know, I'm not doing that. And so we have to be mindful. Romans 6, 16 through 18. Don't you know that when you present yourself as a servant and obey someone, you are the servant of whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. But thanks be to God that whereas you were bond servants of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were delivered. Being made free from sin, you became bond servants of righteousness. Right? So whatever you're submitting yourself to right now is your master. That's the facts. No tree by the fruit it bears. If you're submitting yourself to sin, to pornography, to lying, cheating, stealing, for being hateful in your heart, to jealousy, any of these things, that is your master. That is what's ruling your life. Right? Now, there's things that are good that can become bad, like clothes are okay. But if you worship clothes and that's all you think about and that's all you want and you want the best clothes, then that's your master. Okay? And so there's some things that are good that can become bad and there's just some things that are just bad. And so we have to temper all of what we desire in life to make sure that God is, remains number one. That there's nothing in our life that's saying, I won't give up this. I'll give up everything but this. If you ever say that, then God is not your master. Right. Whatever that was is your master. Okay, so you're not serving God if you're holding back. Now you can, and I want you to repent of it. Ask God for help. He will. So choose to serve God. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear Yahweh and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve Yahweh. If it seems evil to you to serve Yahweh, choose the day whom you will serve. 
whether the gods of which your father served that they were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh, God. Okay? Number, top of page three. Siege the evil spirit of this world and lay waste to hell's kingdom. Okay? We're at war, people. <laughs> it's just so, a lot, a lot of Christians are derelict on duty. They've gone AWOL. They're not in their regiment. They're not, you know, there for roll call. They're out running outside the base, doing whatever they want to do, fraternizing with the enemy, and are basically traitors because they haven't stood with the faithful. Okay? 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but mighty before God, the throwing down of strongholds. <laughs> throwing down imaginations that every high thing that is exalted above or against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being readiness to avenge all disobedience, when your obedience will be made full. I love the... <laughs> So if you just go through here, okay, so I'm going to read it. For we walk, we don't walk in the flesh. Uh, uh, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war, that's one, according to flesh. For the weapons, that's two, of our warfare, that's three. Be mighty before God to the throwing down of strongholds, that's four. Throwing down imaginations, that's five. That exalted against the knowledge, that's six. Uh, bringing every thought into captivity, that's seven. Right? These are all war terms. Strongholds and exalting and bringing down and tearing down and warfare, right? And so he's really sending a message, and they understood siege warfare back then. That's how they did it, where they you, your city would have palisades or walls, and you know, and and you know, you'd hide in there and huddle up and hopefully outlast the attackers. But here, this is like Jesus says: the the gates of hell shall not prevail against gates. Keep you out. It's not keeping them out. The gates are keeping them in, right? And we're going into attack. And so when it says every high imagination exalts itself against God or every thought that, so this is spiritual, right? He said, these are, this is like a citadel and we're attacking the base, right? And he said, no, tear all that down, tear down the gates, charge, right? And get in there and get after it, right? And so, and we're there to be, the soldiers of Christ, right? To be a part of spiritual warfare, to be part of the body, you know, the soul rescue teams that help bring people out of this and go in and rescue them like they're POWs, prisoners of war, right? So 1 Peter 1, 13 through 23, therefore prepare your minds for action, right? So that means, here's the thing. You guys want to know how to survive? Here's the thing. Here's what survivors do. Survivors premeditate on how they will respond to situations. And that's why training works so good. So like you don't get in a situation and someone puts a gun to your head and, and it's never happened. You never thought about it. Deny Jesus or I'm going to shoot you. If you haven't already predetermined in your heart, your response, you're going to fall all over yourself. You have to determine in your heart at that point, I am accepting Jesus. I will say yes. And I will die for him. Amen. And that way, when the moment comes, you already have the answer you're going to choose. But if you're put in a situation where your your mind is unprepared, right? And like you're not prepared for some persecution. You're not prepared to be maligned, to mistreated, to be excluded, to be, be alone, to be separated. If you're not prepared, if you're not preparing your mind for these things, you're going to be cut off so off guard that it's going to crumble your faith. 
And you're going to be like, God, why have you let this happen to me? Where are you? Blah, 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 blah. He warned you all this was going to happen. He said, blessed to you when they persecute you and separate you and don't let you in the party, basically, and say bad things about you. He's done told you, like, guys, I, I, I told you it was going to happen. Why are you acting like it's a strange thing? Because we're privileged little babies in America and we don't know how to handle it. Right. So when Jesus says, carry your cross, what does that mean? When you carry a cross, it means you're going to die. If you're carrying your cross with Jesus, where did he carry his cross? To Golgotha, to die. So when he says, bear your cross, that means prepare yourself for death. So what happens is as a Christian, you're a walking dead. You're already died. You're dead already. And you've committed yourself to it. And while you're you're still here on the earth, internally, you have died to this world. You have died to yourself. And you're walking a path with Christ. And at any time that it's decided by God that now's your time to make it fulfilled, you're out of here. You don't have to sit there and fret and worry like, what am I going to do, Lord? You've been dead for years. It doesn't matter. You're there. Not a problem. You're like, yes, sir. I read these uh, Voice of the Martyrs things and the devotions and all these great men who gave their life for Christ and how they handled it and why, why they're in prison. And, and, and you can tell that this is a decision they've made long ago. It just didn't happen upon them. And they didn't like, you know, take it lightly and walk their walk with Christ as if no bad thing was ever going to happen. No, you just go, it's life. Things happen. I'm going to follow Christ. I'm dying now. I'm dead now. I have died. Right? And now I'm the Lord's and I'm going to go do things for with him for him because he has asked me to because he bought my soul so I don't have to die for eternity. Right? So it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, put your hope in the things that come. The Bible says, for the joy that set was that was set before him, Jesus endured the pain and suffering of the cross. So that's what he's saying. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. In other words, prepare your hearts and put your hope in what's to come. Okay? Number 14. As children of obedience, not confirming conforming yourself according to your former lust, as you're in your ignorance. But just as he called you as holy, you yourself will also be holy in all behavior. But it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you call on my, on him as father, who without respect of persons judges according to each man's work, pass the time of your living in, as foreigners here in reverent fear. What does that mean? This is not your home. This is not your country. This is not your personage. This is not your land. None, no, none of this. You're foreigners. You're traveling through. You're on an exodus. You're leaving Babylon. You're exiting, right? And so, so while you're here, be in godly fear. Do not displease the one who has called you. And we read above, should we fear you or should we fear God? He said we should fear God, not man. Jesus said, fear him who could throw you into hell, right? 18, knowing that you were redeemed not with corruptible things, with silver or gold, for the useless way of life handed down from your fathers, but with the precious blood, as of a lamb, without a blemish or spot, the blood of Christ, who was foreknown uh, indeed before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in this last age for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in, the be in your obedience to the truth through the Spirit, 
in sincere brother, uh, brotherly affection, love one another for the heart fervently having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and remains forever. Okay. So prepare your hearts. What our God requires is no mystery, nor is it impossible to search out. We are without excuse. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. For this commandment, which I command you today is not too hard for you to, for you or too distant. It is not in heaven that you should say, he will go up for us to heaven and bring it to us and proclaim it to us that we may do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us and proclaim it to us that we may do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Behold, I have set before you today life and prosperity and death and evil. For I have commanded you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his ordinance, that you may live and multiply and that, your, that Yahweh your God may bless you in the land where you are going to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away and worship other gods, pause, other gods doesn't have to be idols. It can be your wife. It can be your car. It can be your job. It can be your status. It can be your position. It can be anything. Back then, they had little idols. Now we make, in the West, we make idols of other things, like prestige or being acceptance, you know? And we continue. And serve them. I denounce to you today that you will surely perish. You will not prolong your days in the land which you pass over the Jordan to go and possess. And I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, choose life that you may live, you and your descendants, to love Yahweh your God, to obey his voice and to cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, that you may dwell in the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, to give him. So, that is our free friend. So now we're going to go through... That's our rundown. Now we're going to go through more examples of people being told to flee through the Old Testament. So we're going to look at the top here. It says, we will also talk about the persecution and being peculiar people for each event, right? So the first one we're going to talk about is the flood. So Genesis 6, 5 through 8. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination and the thoughts of man's heart was continually only evil. Yahweh was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he grieved him in his heart. Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the surface of the ground. Man, along with animals, creepy things in the birds of the sky, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in Yahweh's eyes. So that's the situation. Things are bad on the earth, right? Men have turned their back on God. And are just destroying each other in the earth. So this is bad. So what's the action? Genesis 6, 13 through 14 plus 22. God said to Noah, I'll bring an end to all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them and the earth. Make a ship of gopher wood and you shall make rooms in the ship and seal it up inside and out with pitch. Thus Noah did. He did all that God commanded him. And in Hebrews 11, 7, uh, Hebrews 11, 7, it says, By faith, Noah being warned about the things not yet seen, Moved with godly fear, prepared a ship for the saving of his house through which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteous, which is according to faith. Right? So this is God saying, get ready to flee. This is your preparation. Build the boat because I'm coming and it's going to get bad. So it's the same as flee Babylon. Jesus says, flee Babylon. God says, flee Babylon because I'm going to come back and destroy it. Here's God going, all right, you're going to flee the earth because it's about to be destroyed. And so God says, in order to flee, you have to do X, Y, Z, right? And so what is the persecution in that? Can you imagine building a boat on a planet that's never seen rain? And that there's hardly enough water to call a lake a lake? 
And they're like, why are you building this? And why so far inland, you moron? And you did it for like a hundred something years? Don't you think there was some persecution and some weird looks and some like, that guy's nuts. And just beat, being beat back down on it. And we're not told in scripture that God kept coming back to Noah every year and go, yep, you're doing good, boy. Next year, yep, you're doing good, boy. Next year, yep. And for a hundred something years, every year going, yep, you're still doing good. Keep it going. No, it just says, do this. And then there's just like, nothing. Right. Noah did what he was told to do. Right. So how should we be? Jesus on, on the earth. He told everybody what to do. We got the instructions. Right. We don't have Jesus coming to us every day going, hey, do this. He's always going, it's in a book. <laughs> I wrote your whole book. It's almost like I categorized it and referenced it for you. <laughs> right. So we have the same thing now. Right. And so um, uh, how peculiar do you think he he appeared? Magnificently peculiar. We talked about that, about being the peculiar people of God. But what is the outcome? Let's see. Genesis 7, 5 through 9. Noah did everything that Yahweh commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floods of the water came on the earth. Noah went into the ship with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives because of the floodwaters. Clean animals and unclean birds and everything that creeps on the ground went by prayers to Noah into the ship, male and female, as God commanded Noah. Genesis 7, 10 through 11. After the seven days, the flood water came on the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the seventh day of the uh, month. And on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open, the skies of the windows open up. So the water shot up from amongst the ground and it came down from atop, on, you know, so you're getting it from both directions. That would have been a startling event. <laughs> Just so you know, it's like a big budget Hollywood movie. People would be freaking out. All right, so Genesis 7, 10 through 20, 18 through 23. So Genesis 7, 18 through 23. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ship floated on the surface of the water. The water rose very high on the earth, and all the high mountains that were under the whole sky were covered. The water rose 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh died that moved on the earth, including birds, livestock, animals, uh, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all on the dry land. In whose nostril was the breath of life, a uh, 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 breath of spirit of life died. Every living thing was destroyed that was on the surface of the ground, including man, livestock, creepy things, the birds of the sky. There were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who with, were with him in the ship. Right? So what God warned was coming came. Noah, because he was obedient, survived it. All right? Just like we talked about last week about Jesus and the prophecy. So as we look at the top of page five, Genesis 8, 1 through 4, it says, God remembered Noah, all the animals and all the livestock, uh, livestock with him in the ship. And God made a window to, uh, wind to pass over the earth. The water subsided. The deep fountains in the sky windows were also stopped. And the rain from the sky was restrained. The water continually receded from the earth. After the end of 150 days, the water receded. And the ship rested on the seventh month on the seventh on Ararat's mountains. In Genesis 9 and 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful multiply and replenish the earth right so what's the blessing noah and his family survived because of his righteous act of moving in godly fear through faith obeyed the call to get ready to flee you're leaving here get ready because bad things are coming okay just like we're called to flee babylon these are our examples right left to us in scripture to encourage us so let's go to the next one sodom and gomorrah 
Situation, Genesis 18, 20 through 21. Yahweh said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether their deeds are as bad as the reports which I have come to me. For if not, I will know. Genesis 18, 23 through 26 uh, says, Abraham came near and said, will you consume the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous within the city? Will you consume and not spare it or place for the 50 righteous ones who are in it? May it be uh, far from you to do things like that, to kill the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be like the wicked. Maybe far from you. Shouldn't the judge of all the earth do right? Yahweh said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place for their sake. This went all the way down to 10 righteous people. There were not even 10. So God set out to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is the situation. So let's see. Genesis 19, 1 through 2. The two angels came to Sodom at evening. Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them and rose up to meet them. He bowed himself with his face to the uh, earth. And he said, See, my lords, please come into your servant's house. Stay all night. Wash your feet and you can rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, but we must stay here in the street all night. So Genesis 19, 12 through 13, the men said a lot. Do you have anybody else here? Sons-in-laws, yeah, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, bring them out of this place for we will destroy this place because of the outcry, because them has grown so great before Yahweh that Yahweh has sent us to destroy it. Right? So God in the situation is like, God's like, this place is horrid. I'm tired of it. He's walking the earth, walks past Abraham, Abraham kind of eavesdrops what's going on. And he goes, no, 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 no. What about Lot? You know, what about these people? And, you know, and, and, and God was like, well, there's 10, 10, 50, 40, 30, there's none. Right. And so out of respect for Lot, uh, Abraham, uh, Lot is nephew, right? His nephew. And, uh, he goes, well, because of him, and because of you, I will tell him to flee, right? And so the angels go in. And so I have heard that in Sodom, it sex it was forbidden to refuse sex, right? And so, like, if you wanted to find someone sexually attractive, you could throw them down, throw a blanket down, and have sex with them, and they couldn't resist, right? And so if you get more into the story about them, the people wanting to rape the angels, that's why it was the custom ones, right? And so, but Lot was righteous and wouldn't let that happen and the angels blind them, right? But so after all this, we got, uh, or during this, we got the angels going, hey, God has sent us here to destroy this place. You need to gather all your loved ones and come with us and flee, okay? So, Let's look at action. Genesis 19, 14 through 16. Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-law to be joking. Mm. Right? Mm. How many times when we warn people, they don't take what we're saying at face value. They do not take the warning. They don't heed it. They're like, oh, that's nice. Fruit loop. Mm-hmm. Your fruit cake, right? So, 15, when the morning came, then the angels hurried light, saying, Get up and take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest she be consumed in the iniquity of the city. But he lingered. <laughs> Dork. And the man grabbed his hand and his wife's hand and his two daughters' hands, and Yahweh being merciful to him, and they took him out and set him outside of the city. So now, mind you, Lot saw the, the miracle of the angels blinding everyone. Right. So he, there was a, an act here, right? It's always just faith. And so here we have, but Lot obeyed. He went with them. His family went with them, his daughters and his wife. Okay. And so let's look at top of page six. And before we get there real quick, 
Didn't that look peculiar, him running around? This plane, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. Chicken little almost, right? And then, anyways, okay, here we go. Top of page six, the outcome. Genesis 19, 24 through 25. Then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of the sky. He overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities that which grew on the ground. And so what do we have here? We got Lot telling his family members and those that were closest to him by guidance of the angels that were sent, tell your family to come. The son-in-law, uh, the future son-in-laws were like, ha ha, you're an idiot. You're joking. Right. He looked rather peculiar. And then Lot even kind of lingered and was like, uh, but finally he consented and went with the angels. Right. And then the outcome of the warning is that Sodom and Gomorrah was totally engulfed. And then of course, Lot's wife looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. Not so good. But uh, And so what is the blessing? Uh, Genesis 19.29. When God destroyed the cities of the plain, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the middle of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived, right? And so Lot benefited from Abraham's relationship, but Lot still had to participate and act upon the warning that was given to him by God. And the, the warning was like, listen, this place is going up in smoke. Get your loved ones out of here. Right now, Lot lingered, but he still ultimately went with them and received the benefit of the obedience of listening to the call to flee. So, as well, yet again, another example of what it means to flee out of Babylon, spiritual Babylon, and the benefits that we can see in Lot's life, we can apply to our own. That listen, these warnings aren't aren't without repercussions. We don't want to be like uh, Lot's son-in-laws or future son-in-laws and think it's a joke. Or think we can delay or think we have another day. We don't. We have to do it now, right? So today is the day of salvation. So uh, let's go on to the next one. Passover situation. Exodus 12, 12 through 13. For I will go through the land of Egypt in that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and animal, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be to you for a token on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and they... Shall no plague be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt? And then uh, Exodus 12, 3 through 7, it says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too little for a lamb, then he and his neighbor next to his house shall take one according to the number of the souls, according to that what everyone can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. You shall... Your lamb shall be without defect, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the, or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at evening. They shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts on the lintel on the house in which they shall eat. So what is the situation? God was like, listen. Payback time. They killed all the all, all the uh, male boys and threw them in the eat into the to the Nile. And so here I come. This is gonna be my final judgment against uh, Egypt. And uh, we're gonna teach Pharaoh a lesson. Now, if you don't want to be a part of this lesson, this is what you have to do. You have to get your lamb or your goat according to your family. Sacrifice it. Put it on your blood uh, on the doorpost. Go inside. Eat it with bitter herbs. Right. And, and consume it all up and be prepared, be dressed and ready to flee. OK. And so they had a decision to make. Do we obey this? Right. Because this went to, uh, to you know, Moses and Aaron and then they and they put the message out. Right. So they're doing this on faith. 
And so they're like, okay, this is what he says. But let's be honest, it wouldn't be too hard to have faith after seeing all these plagues that came on, right? At this point, you're probably quaking in your boots like, oh, whatever you say, Moses. Or, you know, later we're going to stab you in the back and hate you and talk disrespectfully about God. But right now, because we're in the moment, we'll do what you say. And so this was that the situation. God's going to come bust up Egypt and teach him a lesson, right? So here's the action, Exodus 12, 21 through 23. And then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, draw out and take lambs according to your families and kill the Passover. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel uh, in the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of your, his house until morning. For Yahweh will pass through to strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, Yahweh will pass over the door and you will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. All right. So what did God and Jesus say in the book of Revelation? Flee from her, my people, so you will not partake in her plagues. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last week, right? And so here he's saying, listen, there's literally a door of opportunity. You stay on this side of the door with the blood on the outside, you're good to go. You want to pay fast and loose and what, what God is telling you to do directly You want to see how much you can get away with. You want to crack the door. You want to stick your nose out. You want to see what everybody else is doing. You're dead. It's no different. So when we're told to flee Babylon, come out of her, my people, it doesn't mean we sit in there and delay like law. It doesn't mean we sit there and come up with reasons of why we should or shouldn't or if it's real or if it's not real. We don't crack the door and peek our nose out when the destruction comes to see what's really going on. No, we do a hundred percent obedience. We say, you know, they say, you know, when they say, you know, jump, you say, yes, sir. How high? Call me froggy. I'm going to do what you say. And that's how we have to be. So that was the action. And those who obeyed are going to benefit. So let's top of page seven, the outcome. Exodus 12, 29-30. At midnight, Yahweh struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the captives who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians that were in the great uh, cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. The implication is not a house that didn't have the blood. So every place that had the blood, there was none dead. But all the houses that had no blood dead okay so the blessing exodus 12 real quick peculiar how peculiar imagine like in whatever town you in the town over like goshen or whatever you want to call it midwest city Edmond, alberta wherever you're at the town over and all of a sudden you're like do you hear what they're doing over there everybody's sacrificing an animal all the families and they're playing in the blood and they're slinging it all over the place (laughs) Because that's what they'd say. They wouldn't be like, they're being orderly about it. They're putting in basins and they're dipping. No, they're like, they're going mad over there. They're nuts. Right? How peculiar is that group of people? (laughs) Right? And, you know, and eating the uh, barbecued lamb, I'm sure it smelled very delicious. And, uh, but the thing was, is here's the deal. Here at the end of time, we're telling people, obey God. Keep his commandments. Keep the Sabbath. Right? Put God first. How peculiar is that to a world that is so profane, who doesn't understand God's way? 
It looks it looks like we're insane. What, you won't work? Don't you want to take care of your family? You're going to take a day off? Don't you want to get a bigger house, bigger car, and get nice college and all this other stuff for your family? You don't care about them, Lance? Right? How about this? Are you so vain that you care about yourself more than you care about your family? Because your faith is more important to you, to you than your children eating? That's coming. Mm-hmm. They're going to beat you over the head with stuff like that. And they're going to say, you're not fit to be a parent because this is the new work regiment in the new world order. You work on Saturdays. That's right. It's Sabbath. It's God's day. So if you're not prepared, if you haven't said in your heart that no, this is sacred, and you can mock me and call me names, look at me like I'm stupid, don't give me the promotion, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. I've made up my mind. This is happening. And I have put that blood on the doorpost of my heart. I have shut that door, and nothing's coming in, and I ain't going out. It ain't happening. Amen. And unless you can get to that point, you're in trouble because you're you're un, you're unstable in all your ways. You haven't determined your path. And you have to. So let's look at the blessing. Exodus 12, 23. For Yahweh will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, Yahweh will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house, uh, your houses to strike you. Praise God. Mm-hmm. Exodus 12, 33 through 37. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. Like, hurry, get out of here. For they said, we're all dead men. The people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. The children of Israel did according to the words of Moses. And they asked of the Egyptian jewels of silver and jewels of gold and clothing. Yahweh gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Yeah, they were scared. So that they had let them have whatever they asked. They plundered the Egyptians, right? So this is not like, well, I need an extra pot and I don't have another cup. And there's like, give me all your pots, give me all your pans, give me all your gold, give me all your silver, give it, give it, give it now, 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 now. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So everything the world values now and everything the Egyptians valued then, they thought they were going to retain through disobedience to God. But in reality, they have forfeited it. And through obedience to God, the children of God gained it. Not only did they gain the lives of their children, they gained the wealth of Egypt and they gained their freedom. So when God tells us, come out of Babylon, my people, don't partake in their plagues. We are not just leaving to get less. We're leaving to get more. We're securing ourselves a better future. So let's look at verse 37. The children of Israel traveled from Ramesses to Sukkoth. About 600,000 on foot were men in addition to children. Okay. So our last one we have here, I'm going to take a drink of water. Our last one we have here, situation, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now Yahweh said to Abraham, leave your country and your relatives and your father's house and go to the land where I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless you with those who ble- I will bless those who will bless you, and I will curse him who treats you with contempt, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So here's the situation. Abraham is like, listen, God's like, well, Abraham, here's the deal. Yeah, you lived here basically your whole life. You're all your relatives lives here. You're gonna have to leave now. Flee. Run. 
I got something better for you. I'm not going to show you all of it. I'm not going to explain it all to you. I'm not going to show you how it's all going to work out. I'm not going to fully explain to you that the Messiah is coming through your line. Right? And that through you and your seed, salvation will come to the whole entire world on those who call upon the name of Jesus. He's just saying, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. It's time for you to go. Right? Jesus and God, they're doing it to the body of Christ. Listen, guys. Leave your country. Leave your relatives. Leave your family's house. Leave the land in which you know, spiritually, physically, whatever it takes. Because I'm going to make you a part of a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. We learned that in the book of Revelation. Right? And so we are told in the same similar situations as Abraham to flee, to go. So Abraham had to look strange. Uh, hey, uh, family, uncle, sister, brother, whatever. Hello, people I grew up all my life. Those in the, you know, the shepherd's club, you know, uh, gotta go. Where are you going? I don't know. God told me to go that way. And that's what I'm doing. Are you out of your mind? Are you insane? You have everything. We have good pastures, good land. You're rich. You got taken care of everybody you know here. It's safe. It's safe, Abraham. Why do you want to leave? It's safe. Mm-hmm. We'll protect you. No, I got to go. Right? And so, and then in that land, there's, you know, idolatry and other pagan wickedness, right? And so for Abraham to do this, this is a big thing. He's a peculiar person. So let's look at the action. Genesis 12, 4 through 5. So Abraham went, as Yahweh had told him, Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered, and they, and the people whom they had uh, acquired in Haran, and they went to go into the land of Canaan. They entered into the land of Canaan, right? So that's the action. They're like, get the family. We're going that way. God said there's gonna, we're going to be a great nation. But we're not going to sit here and think about that Canaanites live in Canaan. Right? It's like, well, God, there's already a great nation over there. Yeah, don't worry about that. Right? Just do what I say. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to have the plan. You don't have the outcome. You just have to do what I say, Abraham. Abraham, get your family. Let's go. Lance, everybody in this Bible study, get your family. Let's go. Flee Babylon. Get out of it. Stop trying to play patty cake. Stop trying to think you can make the world like you when they hate God. Why would you want a world that hates God to like you? What does that say about you? Come on, think it through. So what's the outcome? Genesis 12, 6 through 9. Abraham passed through the land to the place of Shechem to the Oak of Morah. At that time, Canaanites were in the land. Oh, there's those pesky Canaanites. Yahweh appeared to Abraham and said, I will give this land to your offspring. Don't look at all the Canaanites, Abraham. This is your land. Don't worry about them. He built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. He left from there to go to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to Yahweh and called on Yahweh's name. Abraham traveled, still going on towards the south. Right? Top of page 8. Genesis 13, 12-17. Abraham lived in the land in Canaan. And Lot lived in the cities of the plain and moved his tent as far as Sodom, which we talked about a little bit earlier. Now the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinners against Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Abraham, after Lot was separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look for the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For I will give all the land which you see to you and to your offspring forever. 
Okay, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can count the dust of the earth, when then your offspring may also be counted. Arise and walk through the land, its length and its width, for I will give it to you. Imagine it this way, so you can feel how Abraham feels. Okay, you go to a fully stocked and present apartment building with people living in the apartments. And then God goes, I want you to walk through every single one of these apartments. They're all yours. As far as you're going to see, yeah, there's people in them. Don't worry about that. They're, this is yours. Do you know how awkward that would be? So you're walking along. This is my land. Yep, there's Bob and there's Joe Canaanite and Smith Canaanite and there's another Canaanite. There's Canaanite army. There's the Canaanite king. But in your heart, you know, God has told me this is mine. It's tempting to try to figure it out. Like, okay, this is mine. I got to raise an army and gather troops and I'm going to wage war and battle. God didn't say any of that. Mm -hmm. He goes, this is yours. And the guy said, walk. All right. So just like with us, we don't have to figure out everything about how the world is going to be defeated. We don't have to figure out every step of prophecy. It's all important and it's all wonderful, but it doesn't have to be fully understood to be fully obedient to Christ. All we're being told is flee, walk, get the step in. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, get the step in. Start separating yourself from this world and do it in every way possible, right? Because God's going to come back, and as Jesus says, he wonders if he'll even find faith on the earth. Don't you guys want to be some of those that are the actual remnant that actually say, yeah, God, I love you. I'm here. I'll do what you say. And then God will be happy and Jesus will be happy and we will be happy and we'll be happy together. You ever had a friend and you see that like someone you cared about and they had no friends and they're down and they're depressed and your heart breaks for that person. And like even at school, you see this sometimes or in jobs where people are just persecuted and separate and your heart breaks for them like, I can be their friend. I can go and try to be nice to them. I can show them some love. Or you have a sibling or a brother or sister and you see them persecuted and they hurt and they break. That is the way you need to feel about Jesus. He is being persecuted. What did Jesus say to Paul? Why do you persecute me? Everything that was happening to the body was a persecution directly at Jesus. Jesus is being persecuted right now in the world. Your heart should break for him. You should be the person that goes, God, Jesus, I'm here. I'm your friend. We can hang out. I'll do what you want to do. You don't have to do it alone. I'll go with you. Right? That's how we need to be. We need to stop putting in our heart that there's just like, like God and Jesus and they're up in this place and they're so detached and, un, and, dis, and removed from it in the human condition. No. Jesus is suffering today because his body is suffering today. Right. And so as the body of Christ, let us look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to be your friend. I want to be the exception to the rule. I want to be the one that follows. I want to lift you up. I don't want to disappoint you. And man, what do you think Jesus will do for you? God and Jesus say, finally, there is one that I can look to and put my heart in. And, and have confidence that we will walk together. Because what does the Bible say? Unless two people are agreed, they cannot walk together. That's right. 
Don't fool yourself if you're a Christian thinking that you're walking with Jesus when you're walking away from him. It's a lie. So what's the blessing? Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of the Most High God. Man, woo, some blessings going on here. <sighs> he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. <laughs> blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abraham gave him a tenth of all. So this is Melchizedek, the high priest of the courts of heaven, coming down on earth, he who has no beginning or end, coming to Abraham to bless him because he obeyed righteously what God's word and did what he told him to do. God was like, okay, I need you to go down there now and bless Abraham. That's where he gets faithful Abraham because all he did was trust. Then like, oh, I'm going to hash it out. No, he's like, all right, we're going to do this now. Right. And he wasn't without his issues about lying to, about Sarah being his wife, which technically she was, you know, spiritually speaking. But, you know, so he wasn't always perfect, but he, he attempted to do what was pleasing to God. OK. And so then you got Melchizedek coming down here. Blessed be Abraham, God of the most high, possessor of the heaven and earth. Like, listen, you have been blessed by God. OK. Genesis 51. After these things, Yahweh words came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Praise God. So who here thinks eternal life is the reward? <laughs> it's not. You are given eternal life so you can be with the reward eternally. Because mm -hmm. what is eternal life without God? Oh, no kidding. There is no heaven without God. Wherever God is, that's heaven. Mm -hmm. Because God's there. Right. And so without God, there is no heaven. So here we have, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And God gives himself to Abraham. He's just not a, an ornament, a placard to put in front of Abraham to, you know, the bounce off arrows from. No, it's poetic. I am your shield. In other words, I am your comfort. I am your protection. I am your help. I am all these things. Your exceedingly great reward. I have given myself to you because you obeyed. All right. Genesis 15, 5. Yahweh brought him outside and said, look now towards the sky and count the stars. If you're able to count them, he said to Abraham, so will your offspring be. Fulfillment of the promise. I will make you a great nation. Get up and leave. You don't want to know how great? Sands of the sea. You want to know how great? Look up at the sky. Can you count up those? And they could see them a lot better back then. No, you couldn't. You can't count those. He's like, that's how big you're going to be. Blessing upon blessing. Genesis 15, 18 through 21. In that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abraham saying, I have given this land to your offspring from the river of Egypt to the river, to the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenziites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephium, the Amorites, the Canaanites, Gergashites and the Jebusites, all the ites, <laughs> right? And so he's like, see all these people? You couldn't have killed them on your own. You're just Abraham and your flocks and your little group of people. He's like, don't worry about it. It's yours. I give it to you. Abraham doesn't have to sit there and wonder how. 
He doesn't have to argue with God, but God, the problem is too great. There's too many obstacles in a way. God's like, no, I'm your shield. I'm your reward. Don't worry about it. I got it. Abraham, you're not doing it. I am. You know, it's like when you get a, a, a swing set for your kids. And it comes with a million pieces. And you're like, look, kids, I've got you a swing set. They don't sit there and go, but how do we put it together? <laughs> they look at dad and go, well, get to making it. I want to swing. <laughs> right? That's what this is. God's Abraham is like, all right, God, you do it. All right, Genesis 17, 4 through 8. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations. Your name will be no more be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you. Kings will come out of you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring, Jesus, after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offsprings after you. I will give to you and to your offsprings after you the land where you are traveling all the land of Cana for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. As we learn, we are spiritual Israel. Anybody who is not in Jesus is cut off. And all those who believe in Jesus are grafted into faithful Abraham. We are part of this promise to Abraham. I want you to just look at your hands for a second. Look at yourself. You are a fulfillment of a promise to Abraham. <laughs> Praise God. You're an acting, living example of a prophecy fulfilled. Praise God. Praise God. You are a walking, living, breathing embodiment of God's faithfulness. Yeah. Now that you are this, God and Jesus said, okay, come out of her. Leave. Right? We have the Exodus, Egypt. We have come out of my people, Babylon, spiritual Babylon. Right? We have Lot. We have the flood. And so, Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we have these examples. So let's look. It says, Revelation 18, 4 through 5. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so you will not take, partake in her sins, so that you will not receive in her plagues, because her sins have piled up all the way to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Right? So, what's the point here? Don't blame God if you're being disobedient and you get wrapped up in the punishment. Right. Because he's telling you, you don't want none, leave. You don't leave, you're getting it. So don't blame God for the evilness that will befall you if you stand in rebellion against God. Make the ark. Put the blood on your doorpost. Flee from Sodom and Gomorrah. Go to a land you know not of. And just trust him that he will be with you on that journey. And let me tell you, it's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Don't think you have failed if you struggle in it. But be faithful in your struggle. And keep walking. Top of page nine says, set your face like flint. Isaiah 54 through 11. The Lord Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with words him who is weary. He wakens morning by morning. He wakens my ear to hear as though he who taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pull, plucked off the hair. Just so you know, it's a prophecy of Jesus, but it applies to us too. I didn't hide my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord Yahweh will help me. Therefore, I have not been confounded. There I have set my face like flint, dogged, stubborn, determined. 
right? Come hell or high water, no matter what happens, I am not turning back. That's how you have to be in your heart. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And I know that I shall not be disappointed. He has put his confidence in what is to come, just like Jesus putting his joy set before him. He endured the cross for the joy set before you. Enjoy the persecution, uh, endure the persecution and the suffering and the tribulation of what it's going to take for you to leave Babylon. Determine in your heart. It doesn't matter what happens. Life is but a vapor. We're moving on from here. I have graduated in God. I am going to get my diploma and you're not stopping me. Number eight, he who justifies me is near. God is near you. Who will bring charges against me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him who comes near to me. Behold, the Lord Yahweh will help me. He who is who is he who will condemn me? Behold, they will all grow old like a garment. The moths will eat them up. In other words, all these fakers, all these persecutors, all these people, they can't stand against God, so they can't stand against you, and they're going to die. Okay? Ten. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the voice of his servants? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in Yahweh's name and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle the fire, right, pagan worship, who adorn yourselves with torches around yourself, walk in the flame of your fire and among the torches that you have kindled. You will have this from my hand. You will lie down in sorrow. Right? So what is this? This is a person... This prophecy of Jesus, but it also applies to us. A de determination, right? And it goes for Isaiah. To make your mind like Flint, no matter what persecution, you will not be disappointed that all those who persecute, or, per, uh, persecute you will die. They're going to be thrown into hell. They're going to be burned up. All right? And so here's the thing about life. There's no escaping suffering. It doesn't matter if you're in the world. The people in the world suffer all the time. There's no, there's no honor among thieves. There are people backbiting, hating each other, leaving each other, stealing from each other. They're suffering. But their suffering will bear no fruit other than death. Your suffering, on the other hand, can bear eternal fruit, eternal rewards. Where do you want to put your suffering? You're going to suffer. It's going to happen. It doesn't matter. It's life. It's, what, it's, it's a fallen world. Suffering happens. Where are you going to invest your suffering? Into death? Or to eternal blessings, eternal life, and gifts from God. So don't let the devil trick you. There's an easier path. No, you're just storing up yourself wrath on the devil's path. You're going to pay for it. So Ezekiel's 3, 8 through 10. Behold, I have made your face hard against their faces, and your forehead hard against their foreheads. I have made your forehead as a diamond, harder than flint. Don't be afraid of them. Neither be dismayed at their looks, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he who said to me, Son of man, receive in your heart and hear with your ears all my words that I speak to you. So, it's awesome for Ezekiel, but for us, we have to trust God to make our make us hard as flint, our, our minds so made up, the uh, uh, impenetrable fortress of our heart and our soul and our minds and our thoughts, right? And as we read earlier, casting down every high thought, every stronghold, destroying the works of the devil, the gates of hell being busted down. It's war, right? And so in war, there's battle morale. That's right. And if you're out in the front lines and you are and you feel like you're losing, your morale goes down in the, the, what they call a rout. A rout is where you leave the battlefield. Never do that. It would be better to die on the battlefield than to rout or run away from your God and the mission he has called you to. 
So as hard as it might get, and it'll be hard, and as strong as it, the battle may rage around you, you have to determine this is what I'm doing. If even if it kills me, I am not turning back. Mm-hmm. Right? And so, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God can save, but it, even if he doesn't, I will not worship your idols. That's right. And that's how we be. So this world, God may save me from what you're about to do before me, but even if he doesn't, I will not worship the way you worship. I will not worship Lucifer. I will not worship Satan. I will serve the one true God and his Messiah, period. Ain't that ever going to change, right? And it will confound their brains because you don't value what they value. And they will kill you for it because you stand as a testimony against them. But don't be surprised. Don't be mystified, bamboozled. Don't be anything other than Christ said this would happen. Blessed be the name of the Lord my God. I am yours. Take me now. And let it happen. Don't worry about it. Great is your reward. If you lose your life for his sake, you gain it. You you confess his name before man, he'll confess your name before God. So let's read. As we can see that we are called to do for our faith in God and Jesus is nothing new. They have required all of their children to take this spiritual exodus out of the world system. You will not find any scripture that tells you it's going to be as smooth and easy. It might be for some, those who act out quickly and not delay, you lessen your burden. Yet as a rule, we are granted by God belief with suffering. As our intro Bible verse showed us in 1 Peter. So do not consider it some strange thing that is happening to you if and when it happens. We have a father God who sends his children out to war. We are all born for battle. Let death before, de- before denial be our cry. So suit up the armor of God and get ready to your battle lines. The battle rages all around you and you are needed to do your part. So death before denial. Do not deny your faith. Do not deny Christ. Do not deny anything of God. And if death comes, so be it. So be it, so be it. Make up your mind now that no matter what happens, you're at the gas station and someone walks in a gun or like that poor girl in in Columbine who asked him, do you believe in God? And she said yes with a gun to her head and she died. Great is her reward. If she would have said no, then her soul would have been in peril. Don't let that be you. And let me give you a little secret before we pray. It happens slowly, your denial. It happens passively. I won't say anything about God right now. I'll say it some other time. I'll kind of look at this porn a little bit. I'll kind of go watch these movies that I'm not supposed to watch now. I'll go and lie just a little bit on my report. I will steal just a a piece of candy. What's a piece of candy? It's just a piece of candy. All those are denial of Christ, just so you know. I will break the Sabbath just a little. That's the denial of Christ. And so we have to be careful not to do that. We have to win all the battles, and Jesus Christ will help you in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not doing it on your own. Ask God to empower you, to guide you in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will make you succeed. He will do the work. Okay, so let's pray. 
Dear Father, we praise you. We glorify you. We love you. I know and I believe everyone in this group want to be a part of that remnant, that group to say, we love you. We have been faithful to you. We have not denied your name. We have spoken your truth. We have been salt and light in this earth. We have allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to give us the spirit of self-control, to the power of the gifts, to go out and share and glorify your name to this world. And so we ask for this power now. Forgive us of our sins. Renew a right spirit within us. If anything is lacking, make it strong in us, Father. Expose that which needs to be exposed and fortify what needs to be fortified. But let us not fail in this calling as we leave Babylon in this world system. We're in the world, not of it. And so we are here to please you and to seek your glory and to give you glory and honor amongst men. So we love you very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you feel so led of the Lord and want to know how to donate to this ministry outreach, please visit brotherlance.com and scroll down to the bottom of the main page for the PayPal link. Thank you and may God's blessing rest upon you. Brotherlands.com